Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Pivot Play Podcast. I'm Jerry A. Thompson. I'm here uh, for this episode with the phenomenal Bryant Pugh. Uh, Brian and I go back a long ways, but we'll get to some of that. But, you know, as I stated in our opening, Bryant is a world-class musician, just phenomenal. Um, my version of a true Renaissance man, his interests go way beyond music. So I'm just too excited to get myself together. So we're just going to jump in. What's going on, Bryant? What's up, man? Thank you so much for those <laughs> lovely compliments. Oh, I, I, I so here's all everything that you just said. <laughs> listen. I'm probably going to use the word awesome, amazing, phenomenal a lot. It's just because out of my vocabulary, you know, public schools, I'm doing the best I can. So, um, but I'm going to, you know, so uh, we were talking just briefly. So you and I met each other many, many years ago in 1980 something. Um, You were brought in as a hired gun uh, for live recording from my home church back in the day. And you were the Um, keyboardist. I was the other, yeah, well, well, here's a, so we're going to get to this too. Um, Do you remember your nickname back then? I do not. I never knew I had a nickname back then. Oh, you absolutely had a nickname. I did. Okay. Yes. It was Video Eyes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And why? You were called Video Eyes because it said anything that you saw somebody play, you could play. Oh. You saw it once, you just played it. So... So let's go to this and we'll talk about, you know, how you, you know, what you've done over the years with music. Let's talk about where you started. Like you're, you're native Philadelphia or? Yeah, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, I didn't get started um, in music. I was 14 years old. I started late. No, you didn't start. I started late. I started when I was 18. When you met me, I've been playing like a year and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's. That's well, like, maybe I'm comparing myself to so many people that started when he was three and four years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Willis's, you know, or the Darren Miller's people holding down old services when they was nine and ten. Right, right. Those type cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk about how you got started. Well, I was in church, um, you know, most of my childhood and well, adult too. And I was intrigued by the organist at the church. Now I couldn't play. Um, so after church, I would go sit on the organ and the pastor wife would chase me off. Next week come around, she'd do the same thing. She was like, get off the organ. You can't play. Get off. So she would, mm-hmm. you know, and she was mean to me. So I would get off. <laughs> Next week after church, I'm right back on the organ. Couldn't play nothing, but just sitting there. And uh, so finally, the pastor came to me and says, look, if you want, I see that we can't get rid of you <laughs> off the organ. So. This is what I'm going to do. If you're going to play in this church, you're going to learn how to be music. So I'm going to hire you a teacher. Wow. He's going to come to your house and give you lessons. So he hired, um, I really didn't want to teach it because I was really intrigued by the guy that played the organ at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, I would sit up under the lesson and tape everything that he would play. But my pastor hired a teacher. It was a, a Russian classical pianist that would come to my house in North Philly in the hood and give me lessons once a week. Wow. Probably where like a little bit of my classical style came from. He tried to make me into a, a concert pianist and that's not really the direction I wanted to go in. Right. But um, yeah, some valuable lessons learned. And I just, you know, learned from that organist. And I was just so intrigued that I would take, I would tape back then we had tape recorders mm-hmm. and I would tape where he would play, go back home and try to pick stuff out on the piano. 
Right. Mom was is a pianist as well, but she played like old timey stuff. So mm -hmm. I was like really intrigued by this organist. Okay. So let's and, so let's so I didn't know you were going. I didn't know that that was your start. So again, similarity is so I spent a portion of my childhood in Detroit. So I was around Twinkie, Thomas Whitfield, um, uh, Gregory Troy, Andre Woods, you know, just Craig Brothers, like just around that that feel, like the winings were there, that's where commission came from. Could have just stopped at Thomas Whitfield. So I was, huh? You could have just stopped at Thomas Whitfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a guy who was truly ahead of his time, Absolutely. right, in terms of what he did with, with music. But when it came to the Hammond organ, it was just intoxicating to me. It was just, it, it had me from the very beginning. And so that kind of drew me into it. And I had a cousin who plays, and when I was in my senior year of high school, I took him to, to school with me and got access to a grand piano and he just played a bunch of songs. I recorded them on a tape recorder. And literally, that's what I really learned to play from is just I just listened to that thing over and over again. And I played other instruments and I took a couple of theory classes in high school. And so that was sort of my my basis to having a structure to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. but it's still kind of it's interesting that that's the route that you came up. So when we met and it's the other thing that maybe you don't know that people say about say this about you as a musician. But your precision is just phenomenal. Like, I've never believed that you've ever hit a key that you did not intend to hit, right? <laughs> just the way you intended to hit it. It's just, you know, so I don't know where your timing in that part of your field came from. I was actually a drummer first, too, so. There's a pianist that told me, if you don't um, intend to play the note, don't play it. He said, I don't want to hear no ghost notes. Oh, wow. Play what you mean, and then don't add nothing else to it. Okay. Is that just like you talking? Say what you want to say. I don't need to hear all the gibberish. Right. <laughs> so I kind of like applied that to music. Okay, and it, and clearly it's, it's worked for you. Um, it wasn't too long ago. I didn't know we were going to be doing this episode, but it wasn't too long ago. I actually went back and listened to that recording. Right. I still oh, wow. have it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and so this is, and again, some of the people who watch this will be musicians. A lot of them are not. But when you have a rhythm section of band, it is built around something. Right. Right. So the sound for that album really was built around you as a keyboard player, as the pianist, right? Everything I, else surround. I well, wish I could hear it. Oh, you I can give it to you? Please. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's it's and then you go back and you know, like Al Ingram, uh Garfield, you know, it was just it was just great. Sweet Rain Records, right? That was at the right, time. Right, right. And so you look at that and the place of just Philadelphia in music, right? I don't care what the genre is. Philadelphia has made its, its mark uh, in terms of music. And we've had some really, really phenomenal musicians and singers to come out of the city. But I think what happened in that time frame, even leading up into the 90s, you know, Wilson Chester and all that, like you obviously played a big part in, as far as I'm concerned, what has become known as the Philadelphia sound. You just you wow. just ingrained in it. I never would think of myself like that. That's a phenomenal compliment. <laughs> well, I mean, just the facts are what they are, what they are, right? And when, again, we could go down that list um, of just the great music that has come out of Philadelphia. Again, musicians, singers, writers. I mean, it's just it's a very just interesting place. Um, there's not a lot of places in the country that can 
that can say that, right? It's not to say other places of the country don't have great musicians, but right, right, right. So, right. so let's talk about what you what you what you've done, right? And and again, in my words, and let's just agree on this, Brian, that you are a world class musician. Thank you. Thank okay. you. So so we can test this. Right. Let's talk about where you've played. Let's talk about the, some of the big houses that you've played in, not just in this country, but around the world. Just help the audience out. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've done stadiums of, you know, uh, small houses, big houses. Um, I've been blessed and fortunate to be able to travel around the whole world. Um, just to go back a little bit, you know, as I was coming up in church and then I went in high school and then I hooked up with this group Pieces of a Dream. Um, okay. jazz group so I went to high school with them and then when I seen them play my whole brain was just like messed up because I was really only exposed to to gospel right oh so I went home and told my mom I'm like you've been hiding music from me like I heard this <laughs> stuff at school like I've never heard she was like boy get out of here with that listening to that devil music <laughs> <laughs> so I had to educate mom that's um, kind of interesting but then that that those three components by me um, that church foundation, then the classical, and then going to high school with the jazz cats. It kind of, that's kind of like who I am and built my style. Right. So, yeah. By the time I was 19, I was um, playing with Keith Pringle. I don't know if you remember him. Absolutely. So uh, I did some gigs with Keith. He discovered me from playing with Gable Hardiman. Remember him? Gable Hardiman and Keith Pringle, and then ended up on a stage with Richard Smallwood. I gave Richard Smallwood my card. He called card. He calls me at that time. He was like really, really big. He calls me two weeks later, and asked me could I be his substitute musician for a gig because his keyboard player couldn't make it. So I was like blown away. I went downstairs and told my mom. Um, Richard Smallwood just called me. He wants me to play on a gig with him. I'm 19 years old. Right. And she told me get out of here she didn't believe me <laughs> so i ended up doing that gig and i was like okay i gotta keep in mind i'm only a substitute right I'm gonna be going like that but he gonna know i was there right <laughs> so i'm gonna learn his music i'm not gonna go in here and do all these runs and all that i just want to learn the solid chords and i want to support the singers because that's what i'm there for right and it. so after that gig he gets back on the bus and he asked me to go to florida and then after that, it was just, I was just in. Right. And so he, that afforded me to be able to travel around the whole world with right. Richard. And, and then I met Edwin Hawkins, and then I did a play with him for two years, as well as playing for Richard Smobis. So I got in with the whole Hawkins family, and, and um, you know, he would send me cities ahead to go teach the choir before he would get there. So that whole choral thing, you know, so I, I've had a lot of experience. Then I come back, and I'm... Um, was playing with Patti LaBelle for two years at her club, and I was a music director there. It was called Shay LaBelle. Oh, and, I remember. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, recorded with Yolanda Adams, a bunch of people. OJs. Um, I went to Japan with the Temptations. I don't know if you remember them. <laughs> no, no one, no one remembers the Temptations, right? right? So right before, I'll, I'll look them up, though. Yeah, right before Eddie Kendricks died. So I did that, that J Japanese uh, tour with them. So yeah, the, um, I've been blessed to be able to move around a little bit. Right, and you've done some television. Yeah, there was a show back in the day called the Jenny Jones Show. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So a little bit of television. Yeah. So but mostly just like on the road doing concert venues. Right. But 
So again, so when I say world class musician, I'm not wrong, right? You you just been you bring that that talent, but also that discipline, because I'm sure you've met a lot of musicians who have you know phenomenal talent and chops. Oh, but yeah. they don't they don't have musicianship. So how how do you define musicianship, right? Um, well, respect depends on where we're playing, what we're playing. If we if if we're playing somewhere and we're supposed to be uh supporting a singer and this is like the whole band okay so we we have to think you know we all have our time to shine but am i listening to this vocalist thing or is everyone listening to me playing runs while she's singing right. so the whole band has to know how to fall back and support who's on stage and then when it's your time to shine then you shine right. so, so you may not get a time to shine you're there to support you're, you're there to support the singers and that's it that's it Right. Fair we enough. know that you could do runs, but we're not here to hear that. Right. <laughs> so I feel that. So when you talk about traveling the world, how has world travel impacted your view, maybe even your worldview? Um, it helped me to to expand um, in terms, excuse me, in terms of different cultures. Um, I kind of like when I travel, not only there am I there to, to, to play music, but I kind of get soaked up in the culture. So I want to mm -hmm. know where I'm at, what kind of food they eat, what do they like. You know, I want to go where the natives go, not necessarily where the tourists go, you know, if I have the time. Right. And I try to be respectful of that person's culture because right. everybody don't always share your your views. You right. can't preach to somebody if they're hungry. Feed them first. Right. Right. And so which... Uh your favorite country? London. I like London for some reason. Really? Yeah. It be, is it, is, it's not the food. It's the fashion. It's the culture. You know, they speak English. I'm not, you know, I'm not really bilingual. So I don't really, you know, unless I have a translator, I'm not, you know, I really love the United States, to be honest with you. But if I was to live somewhere else, it would be uh, London. Okay. So I, and I feel that I've, uh, let me see, London and Ireland, uh, I was in Amsterdam uh, a couple of years ago. My daughter was living there, worked for Uber. Um, so I went to go visit her. Phenomenal. That's just phenomenal yeah. place to, to, to put your foot in. But again, when you get to see that there's somewhere other than America, people think differently, you know, they, they eat differently, they speak differently, they interact differently. Um, that we're not the center of the universe, right? It gives you an appreciation for those other, right? Those other cultures, right? Um, so, so you made a decision at some point as a musician that this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I knew that when I was a kid. When when they first let me play for the children's choir, and you know, after I played the very first song I ever played in church was an accomplishment for me, especially when the pastor wife wouldn't let me play. So I played, you know, that one song for the children's choir and it was like everybody was up there, you know, clapping because they only knew me as like the little Brian, the usher. Right. So when I'm playing, I'm sitting at the piano and all these people clapping for me, not that I wanted, you know, anything, not, I wasn't right. even expecting it, but right. it just happened. So I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm gonna always do this. <laughs> <laughs> And you and you've done it well, and so that and you know, so I've I've always admired that, and you know, people like you. I think about other people. I know, feel like James Poyser and others, 
who really have just, you know, um, uh, Little John, I mean, people who've just, you know, made a decision that this is, you know, I, I bailed and went the corporate route, right? And so I've always kept music in my life, but I just went, I went a different. That's why you uh, have all the money. The corporate have all the money. Well, I, so let me say this. I, I've been extremely fortunate, I think, from where I started to where I am. I mean, I've, I'm just tremendously blessed um, to, to have accomplished what I have. But at the end of the day, though, music and having that creative expression plays a huge role in all of that. You know, and I tell people, if you have a true creative outlet, it makes creativity available to you with all the other areas of your life. Uh, and if you really want to weave in and out of situations, I think people who are creative see things a little bit differently. Um, you know, and then so along with creativity comes curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so I also look at you as a very curious person. Like you said, if you travel, you're not going where the tourists go. Take me to the natives. Take me to the epicenter. So what? So how do you look at curiosity versus creativity um well i'm always curious because i'm i'm someone who loves to learn i always you'll never know it all so i'm yeah. always a sponge willing to learn something that i don't know um sometimes i even teach it but i like i like to learn mm -hmm. so my creative side i'm going to say first and foremost it's not it's not just me it's a gift it's the gift from god mm -hmm. Um, and I try to explain that to my my classical piano teacher because um, some people come from the school that think um, 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 music can only be taught. And I'm like, because he's like doing all these calculations and you can't mix a minor third with this and he's doing all these calculations. And I'm like, I don't know. It just sounds good. You got to ask God. And he gave me the gift. So I know that God anointed me. I know right. he gives me the gift. And right. and. Um, if you read the book of James, it talks about a gift and how God gives you a gift. He gives it to you perfect. And it, it don't have nothing to do with the instrument. Right. You see, so, God didn't anoint me to play the piano and the organ. God just anointed me with a gift. I right. chose to play the piano and the organ. Just like anybody, they choose their instrument. He gives you the gift. But say, for instance, you play the piano, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But if I, if we lock you up in a room for, uh, for a year and give you a trombone. And take you, play. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. You're going to come out playing a trombone. Right, right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the instrument. It's what's inside of you and right. your ability to hear. And we hear different. I'll give you another example. Um, I was with some friends. We was on this tour and, and I had my motorcycle gear on and we was Louisiana. And we and we, we walked through the piano store. And as we were walking by, I saw the Bosendorfer in the window. Okay. So I'm like, oh, wow, y'all hold, hold up. I need to go in here. So I go in and I and, you know, the salespeople around, and I was like, wow, I love that piano. It's got a black octave. Can I play it? And they was like, well, well, sir, we don't really allow people to play this one, but you can play this one. So I had to go in, and, and well, I didn't have to. I chose to go, and it was a spinet piano. Right. So I played Rachmaninoff, mm -hmm. note for note, without the sheet music. Mm -hmm. But these people knew I knew how to read because I was playing it note for note, right. classical. Mm-hmm. And they can't they they was like turning red in the face. They was like, oh my gosh. Because they're thinking, where's the music? Right. They don't understand gift. Then they was like, no, sir, okay, please play this one. Then they wanted me to play the hundred thousand dollar Bosendorfer. Right. 
And I was like, nope, I'm leaving because y'all judged me by how I looked. <laughs> and I left. Did you leave? <laughs> yes. I mean, I probably looked like I was robbed. I had, a, you know, the scarf, the boots, all that. They I've, I've seen, I've seen the photographs. <laughs> they ain't know what to think. So, so let's talk about this too. I think that you know, again, as as a musician, we understand this, and I'm going to say uh, jazz and and gospel probably have the most of this, and I'm sure it's in country and other music, but in gospel, you know, ninety. Five percent, probably of everything we play is not written anywhere. And so, right. if you are going to be, uh, I would say, a proficient, accomplished musician, you need to have an ear, right? Yeah. Now, again, the people understand like, well, you got two ears. So, when we talk about your ear, explain to people what that really means. Um, that's the ability to be able to discern uh, pitch. Um, different tones. Um, when, when you have an ear, you could identify uh, from one chord going to the next. You can kind of like hear where a song is going, if it makes musical sense, if it don't make musical sense. Um, some people don't have that. Right. You know, right. they know they know how to sing a melody while a melody is playing, but you turn the melody off, they can't do that. Right. Right. Um, so it's just a it's, it's just a basic thing that you have. It's, it's again, it's a gift that you have. It's like hard to explain. Right. And a lot of and a lot of the music, you know, again, having some just funny. You talk about pieces of a dream. I'm interested. I'm interested in some of your other jazz influences. I came in a total side door with like Chick Corea. Right. Well, well, piece. I mean, the piano player. He and I are kind of close now, but. It, I've never seen nothing like him the way that he the way he played. He was having his foot on top of the piano while he was playing and all this crazy stuff. It was it was just like blew my mind. So it then it opened me up to listen to other jazz artists like George Duke and oh, um, one of my favorites to till today is uh, Pat Metheny. Mm -hmm. Um Lyle Mays and and that whole study. I, Chick Corea was a little bit too abstract for me, but even though I loved and appreciated his gift. Mm -hmm. Definitely gifted. Even same thing with Herbie Can Hancock. I'm not like really an abstract player, right? Um, but I definitely um, appreciate what they do. Yeah. I mean, they're for not they're geniuses, right? Yeah, and you mentioned like George Duke. You know, you know, God bless him, man. Just phenomenal. Joe Sample, um, phenomenal. Joe Sample. Yeah. Rodney Franklin. I don't know if you ever heard of Rodney Franklin, but he was another major influence to me. And speaking mm -hmm. of Tom Griffith, who was gospel, he actually asked me to play for him. We was in Colorado. This is before he passed away. And I was just like, all right, so you got to be kidding. And then he asked me, you think I'm too big? And I was like, yes, you're too big. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed and everything. So he said he's going to give me a call, you know, in a couple of weeks. And next thing I know, he passed away. I was done. Wow. You know, it's funny. I was with, um, oh, I had the privilege to hang out with Donald Lawrence one evening in, uh, in Chicago. And he told a very similar story that Thomas was getting involved in his first project. And right before everything was getting ready to go down, Thomas would feel unfortunately fast. And Twinkie, when I get, let me just say this. I sat on the only bench next to Twinkie. That's all that was. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
I'm going to leave that at that. But she's phenomenal. Eve's phenomenal, um, but very clearly ahead of his time. You go back and listen to those early albums that he did, like nobody was doing anything like that. Um, and I played a workshop once in Ohio with a guy who did play for him and said to me that one of the, the reasons Thomas Whitfield played the way that he did is because he has small hands. So like you have larger hands, so you have reach that he didn't have. So those clusters of chords- that really have anything to do with it. Now, but he played those clustered chords. Well, think about your reach, Brian. Like you can easily go from C to the E above that C. I know you can, mm -hmm. right? Well, some people can't do that, but he said that's why he played these clusters of chords and had all that speed. That's just mm. that's just what someone said who who played for him. So just mm. going by what he what he said. So you know we're in the midst of this pandemic, and it has been a tremendous tremendous blow to musicians, right? People who perform, people who make their living through music, as well as other industries. How, how do you assess this? The impact to people who are full time musicians. Um, I definitely recognize that it has impacted a lot of musicians um, and it's a sad situation because some musicians, that's all they do. I have a lot of friends who are musicians. That's all they know how to do is play music mm -hmm. and sleep. <laughs> play music. That's all they know. So they can't even think outside of that. Right. So, but and, and so one of the reasons I definitely wanted to have this conversation with you is that I know that that is not the case for you. You have other interests, you have things that you've done. So let's just talk about Brian Pugh, you know, when he's not sitting behind an instrument, whether it's the piano or, or steel drums, which I wouldn't want to get back to steel drums. Oh gosh. <laughs> but what, so talk about Brian away from- away My old from. pastor called me all over the place. Because mm -hmm. I'm just all over the place. And I had to recognize, yeah, you know what? He's right. So one of them, uh, the songs on my new CD, that, that new CD or whatever you want to call it, MP, uh, what do we, we, we call it? it it's, it's still an album. Okay, album. Um, one of the tunes is called "All Over the Place," but I'm going, I'm going through different genres of music. Mm -hmm. um, but aside me from me being um, a musician, I've always been like an entrepreneur, like businessman. I always think business. Okay. Things have to make sense to me. Okay. Um, so aside from music, um, I know how to make money. <laughs> right. It's not so, music. Right, but that's important though. So that's what I'm saying. So how so how do you well as how you do know, you do I, that? As you know, I have a crystal business. Um, love the crystal love the crystal business, by the way. Thank that's you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it definitely got me through this year. Right. Um, my crystal business, um, my numbers is better than it was last year. Mm -hmm. Not being a pandemic. Right. So um, where I'm so not, where do you where do you operate the business out of? I know you have at least a, a key. There's a mall called the Cherry Hill Mall in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um and I was operating I usually I I did it all year a couple years ago and it took so much of my life. So now I just do it seasonally. I'll come in November, December, and I just shut down this past Sunday. And I'll go back next November. But I still sell them all year long. People call me or um, I have a little setup with an Asian lady. She sells them for me in a flea mar uh, nearby flea market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's business. Yeah, let's see. That's called, so and on my side, we call that scale, right? Anytime you can make money and not have to be around the thing necessarily to make that money 
when you can get the effort that's bigger than the effort that you could singularly bring to something, that's what we call building scale. And that's to your point, a lot of people who make their living doing one thing don't understand one diversity, do more than one thing. They also don't understand scale. Like, so if you wanted to, you have a template. If you wanted to make it bigger, you already know how to do that. Right. Right. You could operate out of several places if you chose to do that. And that's, and see, that's the difference. I think in what you do from what other people do. So I think it went, like there was photography. Yeah, I had a photography shop for three years and then, you know, the cell phones became big and everybody started taking pictures with their cell phones. So I says, okay, okay, I see what this is doing because it was shutting the photography business down. Everybody got pictures in their phone and the, the phones are getting better and better. All okay, the time. So now I'm going to take advantage of what's in your phone. You send me a picture out of your phone, I'm going to make it 3D and I'm going to turn it into a, a, a crystal right and and it's going to take that picture that's in your phone to another level so that was that's like 90 percent of my business was in people's cell phones well yeah the one i sent you definitely just came out of the cell phone <laughs> <laughs> but if it's, it's a phenomenon it's really art when it's done it's art right mm -hmm. um and so and then there's other things again this is this i think this is so important and i don't know that people who think the way that you do are necessarily super special. I think there's something like I got. If you just see what's what's around, like you see this image right here. You know, my office is back there, my studio's back there, the gym's back here. I got another, you know, but I have all these things that are going on. Like right now, I have a big development project that's happening with a team in Pakistan. Nice. Um, we won't release it. We won't talk about it publicly too much for another month or so. Um, but there's just always a lot that I've had going on, like doing seminars and I do coaching and mentoring and all this sort of stuff is how do you get people to identify? Like I, and the reason I say it's not special, I think it's, it's truly a gift. I think everyone has it. I just don't know if they know how to access it. And if they have the ideas, do they ever get out of their head or do they talk? Some people are not, some people, they just want to stay, they just comfortable staying in the box and that's, that's where they stay. You know, I'll make a face mask for people. I, I make t-shirts, um, you know, on my downtime. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff I like to do. But I do stuff that I enjoy doing. Right. Right. You know? So how do you, so would you, I want to ask the question the right way in terms of, uh, I'm certain you would encourage people, but have you ever, you know, coached or taught somebody? Because there's a method to what you do, right? How, how would you instill that into someone else? Like even some of these musicians who clearly could do something else, right? And I, and I believe in the age of information, you can learn almost anything, right? You got YouTube University. How would you encourage someone to diversify and even the people who are really phenomenal musicians to take that creativity and put it in something else? Like, you know, be who you are. You know, look for other things that interest you. Don't just do everything for money. I don't see, I don't chase money. I chase dreams. It's just money comes as a result of it. But I, don't, I never chase money. I do something I love to do. Other people take interest in it and they want to buy it or whatever. And then the money comes as a result of it. But I always do because your quality of life is important too. Right. Not just by always chasing the dollar. So so uh, if you don't mind, deep dive that a little bit. Because there are a lot of people that their whole thing is, you know, yeah, as they say now these days, you know, got to get that bag. Um. And then they're miserable. <laughs> you know, do things that's within your means and something that you aspire to do. Like I've I've traveled all around the world playing music, right? So I'm not gonna say that 
you know, that's not exciting to me anymore, but I've been there and I've done that and I appreciate it. But now where I'm at in life, small things matter to me, mm-hmm. not so much big stuff. So, you know, I went out and bought this RV and, and I, I was about to say, Brian, you say little things matter. You don't really do little <laughs> things. I've no, seen this RV. I've seen this RV. No, but in people the see, it, see it as boring. Like I'll go to a campsite and I'll just sit down and just listen to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk to talk to other people that's not in the music industry. Just have um, intriguing conversations, intellectual conversations with people. Right. Um, not related to 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 not music. It's, right. it's 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 just a big world out here. Right. And um, so you know, I. That's my therapy. I just like to go different places. This past summer, I, I went to uh, Texas. I've never driven to Texas before because I'm always used to flying everywhere. Right. But I'm always flying. I always get to the to des- to the destination, but I always miss the journey. Right. So now I want to catch the journey. Right. Did you do Canada? Where else did you go? I follow you. You went somewhere else. It's like, oh, what was he doing there? North Carolina, South Carolina. Then I went to Mississippi. I got up out of there real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and that's why you spent some time with Ben Tankard. I went to, to Ben Tankard's spot, spent some time with him. Then um, he gave me some great advice. And we don't always have to be, um, we don't always have to be combative or or, or we comparing ourselves. Right, to, the competition, uh, right. Because, you know, I don't know if you saw on the video, I mean, you know, these guys was talking about Ben Tankard and he don't do all these runs and all this kind of stuff. And I had to shut him up. I'm like, how many records you got? Right. Right. Oh, I saw, <laughs> oh, I saw the video. Record, so why are you talking about this man? Right. Right. <laughs> he has, you know, aside from his own music, he's done so much. Um, and people wouldn't even know that he's, that he's done it. Um, you know, he, he stepped in with Yolanda Adams when Thomas Woodfield passed away. I mean, he, but he's, he's, he's a different type of dude, though. And, yeah. I, and I appreciate what he's, I've always appreciated Ben Tanker. That's why I connected with him um you know so i'm i'm there and you know everybody we got these big elaborate studios and y'all ain't really saying nothing with pro tools and all this kind of stuff this guy got this imac a little keyboard he on the billboard charts (laughs) don't got none of them plugins y'all got none of that stuff he's using garage band right 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 (laughs) <laughs> so big and bad, but your Pro Tools ain't putting out nothing. This guy's on big billboard charts with GarageBand. <laughs> so you know what? And so here, so here's what I can tell you about that. Um, man, I didn't think we were going to talk about this, but you, you you brought it up, so we on it now. I think that the competitive environment that has been created instills fear, and so when people have stuff, they won't put it out. Because they don't think about the people that it could reach, the people that it could help, the people that it could bless. They think about the people who might criticize it, and they just never do it. How do you, not just musically, but in all these areas, where what is the role of the boldness and the courage? Where does that fit into the equation with you? In terms of other musicians? Just in terms of no. doing what you do. Because oh, you I'm- break the mold. You're outside the box. I'm just like a, a, a risk taker. Like, for example, when I did my crystal business at the mall, um, uh, they told me that the rent was going to be, this is for a kiosk. Mm-hmm. They told me that, you know, I'm thinking in my head, uh, 
what's the rent gonna be? Thirteen hundred at a mall, whatever. That lady came out was like gonna be eight thousand dollars for November and eight thousand dollars for December. Was that with power? Sometimes they charge you extra for the power. Did they give you power? Yeah, one little plug. <laughs> so I thought about it. I'm like, okay. I know this place got a bunch of foot traffic. I don't look at the price. I look at the value. Okay. So that was a leap of faith because I was getting ready to get up and walk out. But then I thought about it and I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's taking a risk. Right. That's 16 grand in two months. Right. Yeah. And it worked out. But because of the volume of people, we did 70 in one month. Right. Of course, that wasn't all profit. I had to pay for crystals. I had sure, to pay sure, for employees, sure. you know. But giving them eight grand, it wasn't nothing. Right. <laughs> but it, it was a risk. So when you when you come out on the other side of that risk and you win, so what does that do for your confidence and your self-esteem, your sense of it? What does that do for you when you come out on the it other side? It inspires me to go do something else and take another risk. Now I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm getting ready to surprise you because I'm getting ready to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> you you you're just gonna think I'm complete. Nobody I ain't tell nobody. I ain't make this public or nothing. But I'm gonna tell you, you're my friend. But I'm, I'm, I'm involved in something else now. I don't. It, and this doesn't surprise me. Like I said, so, I have a, I have a couple of my buddies. They ask me, how do you do all this stuff that you do? I'm just I'm driven to do it. I'm not tired doing it. I'm inspired doing it. You know what I mean? I love it. Yeah. So. I shut my mall down Sunday. I moved mm -hmm. out Sunday. I'll go back next November. Um, I started trucking school two days ago. <laughs> no, yesterday, Monday, I started. <laughs> oh, boy. You getting a CDL? Yeah, I got my CDL permit, but I need the CDL license and I okay. need the experience. And um, I think on this one, I may contradict myself a little bit because on this one, I might be chasing the money. Okay. <laughs> a lot of money in trucking. <laughs> boy, oh boy. You a businessman. You already know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I totally get it. But the thing is, it's here. Let me just say this. And not just to you, I'm saying this. Make sure you, you kind of leave in the frame there, bro. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm saying this um, because I had issues with this years ago when people try to identify you as one thing, right? It can be very restricting. Um, and so, again, not saying to you, but really for the people who are, who are watching this, is never let other people define who you are or what you're going to do. That's the fastest way to create your own person. That's why, that's why. My life motto is live free. This is this is totally what I'm all about. Um, and that came out of actually some really horrible experiences. And one of them was cancer. Um, but I'm like, when you realize, you know what? I could have died. Um, if I did, you know, people be shocked and surprised and sad and sing some songs. But eventually they're going to get back to their own life. So why would I not do what I want to do in life over the opinions of people who would eventually forget about me? Mm hmm. I'm about it. I'm just, I just do it. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So, so I, I figure yeah. I do this while the music world is sleep, you know, technically everybody um, on the Zoom calls playing their little songs or whatever. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go out and get this under my belt. And then when, if the industry turns back around, at least I'll have this under my right. belt. 
And this is what I'm saying. My life, my my financial security will never be in the hands of a church or a pastor that could just cut you off like that. Right, right. And we know we know all about that. I'll always be able to jump in the truck and make some money if I had to or if I want to. Right. And I like it. I like driving big stuff. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there's this freedom to doing what it is that you want to do what you want to do. Right. And that's at, when it's all said and done. I don't want my life to be I checked off the boxes on what everybody else wanted me to do. Like when you bury me, bury me with a smile on my face because I did what I wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I don't want to be I just don't want to be in a box. It's a big world out there. Right. And so um so let's segue really quickly. I want to go back to um to to music here for a second, and not from the musician standpoint, but from the technology standpoint. So since we've come along, a lot has changed in terms mm -hmm. of technology with music. How help people understand because i'm thinking even back then the first digital pianos were probably coming along but the first sequences were coming along and now you know so just from your vantage point in your view how do you think about how technology has changed the game um it's made uh it's created more opportunities for musicians um to to be able to afford this equipment in their own home and to be creative and to be able to make music on their own and and express their ideas um through the digital format whereas before you had to go pay for studio time now right. we could just do it at the house do it at the house and it's hurt a lot of big studios though it has right but you know we have to be like the sons of Instacar. you got sons of Instacar. you got to be able to change with the times right because right. some of us still have eight track mentalities in a digital world. <laughs> You're going to be left behind. You're going to be left behind. And some of those big, and those, some of those big recording studios are gone. I mean, I remember what the hourly rates were, even in our, you couldn't get in some of them for like less than 150, 200, $250 an hour. Right. Correct. And you, Correct. you know, and you can, you know, but, and so, but if you're, and I'm thinking maybe you were the same way, but we've made those investments, right? Like I remember having a four track and an eight track. And I remember my first mixture was a 12 channel and then the 24 and then the 16. And then, you know, you get these digital boards. So we've invested yes, quite a, quite a bit. At maybe 16, my first keyboard was $2,200. My mother thought I was, that, that I had lost my mind. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, I just always had a standard like that. I want, was out there not necessarily the best but something that's going to help me to be able to create what's right. in my mind help me be more creative right i don't right. necessarily have to keep up with the jones joneses and get what you have or get what that person has but whatever's going to help me to be more creative so right. that i can be the best that i could be so you're clearly an independent thinker have you always been that way yes so no inspiration you just, did you did you it's just hard for me to relate to people Really? I'm all over the place. <laughs> yes. So someone might call that eccentric or eclectic. Do you consider yourself to be eccentric? Whatever that, I don't even know if I know exactly what that means. No, no, but I just, you know, my mom always tell me, you just go wherever way your head turns. That's just the way you go. Right. See, the thing is, I so I wouldn't probably put the, the label of eclectic or eccentric on me because in my mind, I'm 100% I'm normal because I just am the way that I am. In your mind, but somebody else may view you different. Oh, and you hear it all the time. 
Um, you know, the average person views me as normal, um, even though I'm a little crazy. You know, you know I ride boats. I mean, you know, you know I ride boats too, right? So I'm at the boat, and when I'm at the boat marina, I run that marina, like, because I have, I'm like one of the only ones that could just dock without the help of other people. So my friends at the marina, they know me as a boater. So I tell them, man, you should go to church with me. I play the organ at church. They like, you don't play no organ, yo. Come on, you know they don't even see me as a musician. They right. only know me as a boater. Right. And so you have interests. So you have RVs. You boat motorcycles yeah right now you're, I you're just got a, another one too it's called a grandma huh? i just got another one really i haven't written it yet it's called a grandma it's a little small one one that i could put on the back of the rv so when i get to the park at the park i can i got my little grandma and i can be out it's so funny i have two motorcycles and since i moved to missouri i don't ride my motor i don't ride my motorcycles that often what you have oh we definitely maybe that's another conversation we i mean i so i so i have i don't I have rice rockets. You have big bikes, right? And so my first real bike, I bought a, you know, a, a, a Kawasaki Ninja, right? That was one. Nice. Of, that was my, but that was my learning bike. But huh? You got a six hundred or a thousand? No, 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 no. Let's go back. My first, that was only two fifty because I was learning. Oh. So when I when I was learning, I got the two fifty. I had it for like a month. Okay. Right. But then I sold it, and then I got my Suzuki Katana 600, which I still have, you right? But it, it, is, it is it is jetted. It's got the you know um, uh, who makes that pipe on there? Is it uh, starts with a Y? I can't even think of a brand right now. Yakamoka. Yeah, just something like that. One of those. But so I got that, and then I have another six, which is uh, which is a Honda, which is more of a, a even more of a sport touring bike. I got it because I wanted to be able to take long rides. But dude, right. out here they're so crazy on the roads. I just I felt more comfortable in Philadelphia riding my mo motorcycle than I do out here. So they have accidents here. You see cars flipped over. When you see cars flipped over, that means nobody was paying attention. No, nothing. I don't even. And you know, I live in New Jersey. I don't live in Philadelphia. Okay. You, right. But I okay. ride out of Jersey because Philadelphia they they doing a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> but you have all these other. All these other interests, right? And see, that's when people look at it. Well, you make the money. I, I need, I need to make money because I have all these interests. That's there why you I know. Because I like big toys. Right. It's, it's not. I never just sit and look at money. I don't have. I don't, you know, go to the banks and give me, give me some stacks. I can. Look. I never look at. It's just. I want to be able to express. It allows me to be able to just explore things that I'm curious about. If I want to read a book, I can buy this book. If I want to get this toy, I buy this toy. But a lot of things I get because I learn. All right, so we'll, we'll jump back in. So you have an interest in many things. One of them, which I was so shocked I saw it on your Facebook page, is the steel drums. And you love the steel drums. Where did this come from? Uh, I was on a cruise. And um, I think I was going to Greece or something. I was the piano player for like two nights. On Royal Caribbean, I think that was. And the other entertainment, you know, as everybody's party, and they had the steel pan player. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And I go up there and I'm watching the guy play it. And I'm thinking to myself, when I get back home, I'm getting one of them. Mm -hmm. I go back home, I call Sam Ash or a guitar center. Hey, I need, will y'all have any, um, you know, the steel pans? How much are they? They was like, we we don't have that. So then I started doing research. Um, you cannot buy those in the states. Not a good one. Really? 
No. Where you going to go unless you buy it off somebody? So I did a lot of research. It traced back to Trinidad. I had to pay somebody to make one for me. Are you serious? So how do you how do you tell somebody what you want? Well, it's a C pan, so they come in different configurations. Mm -hmm. So I wanted the one that you play the melody on. So what are the other types? There's other types with different, like you know, bass notes, different notes. Some you see some people playing two of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so they both have different octaves. Wow. Okay. So how? Find, on the one that I have, you're not gonna find like a low G, but on the other pan, you'll find a low G. Right. But you're not gonna find a high C. On mine, you'll have you'll have a high C. Right. Hmm. So that's another whole culture within itself. So I did a whole lot of research, and and I really want to go to Trinidad because. I want to go to, they have this thing called carnival every year. Yeah, every, right. It's like in Trinidad, you're born to play a steel pan. Right. <laughs> so the instrument, the sound just intrigued me so much. So yeah, I paid this guy to, to make me one and ship it to me. Wow. Now here, so here's the, here's the thing. How long did it take you before you could play it? Oh, wow. Because unlike a piano, the notes is not like C, D, E, F, G in a systematic order on that pan. Everything is all over the place. Really? The C is here, the F is somewhere else, the A flat is all the way up here, you know, the high C is in the middle, the A is over here, the B is over here. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I just had to start training myself and you know, with anything, practice. Mm -hmm. I actually did um like not last summer, summer before last two gigs as a steel pan player. Did you really? I make my own tracks and then I just play the steel pan with it. They loved it. I knew I wasn't the greatest, but they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love, I love, I love the freedom. I love it. I love it. Free. Like I said, I, I speak to other musicians, people, I won't even say any names, but people that you know that have so much good music in them and things that they could share. They just won't let it out because they they, they fear the criticism. Mm. I know phenomenal singers who won't ever record anything because they're like, I don't have the look, you know, that whole, that whole thing. And I think it robs the world of so much good that could be done. And sometimes your biggest blessing is when you're willing to bless somebody else, just share what you have and then see what, and see what comes back, you know, see what comes back to true. you. That's so, true. Um, so anyway, so we, I'm going to wrap on this, but Man, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate this. It's just My pleasure. It's good talking to you. Yeah, this is. And you're a phenomenal guy. <laughs> you know, you can teach me how to get into the corporate and the stocks and all that. I know you're into it. You know, you, you, teach, you show us how to make the money. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I've you know again from the day that you walked into the, in the New J and Twin Oaks all those years ago up until now, man, just always admired and respected your your gift, the way you carry yourself. Um, your precision around the instrument. Now I, I understand more. So even in some ways, some of this, this episode is really selfishly for me. I know a lot of other musicians are going to want to see this, um, but there's a process to what you do. And I think that a lot of what you do and the way you do it and the way you live your life is applicable to so many people. Um, so I said to you, I think this is going to help a lot of folks. Man, I went to Oscar Peterson's grave site. That's how much I admire him. I got on a subway and a bus to go to his grave site. Really? In Canada. Really? Yes, me and my girlfriend. Yep. Wow, I did, I had no idea that's where he was buried. He was like, where are you going? Why are we on the subway? We going to see Oscar Peterson. 
So any any uh, any parting words for the audience? Because there's there's something that we didn't. I'm just hoping people heard a lot of what you said, man. Because you are living your life in such a courageous way, and it's working for you. What what would you say to the person who's just I'm afraid? What's your what would your word of encouragement be? You'll never get ahead being afraid. You're just gonna stay where you are. Don't live, never live in fear. Right. And go after what's reachable. Some people like we know we're not going to the moon. We know we're not gonna be no astronaut. But 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 you can see that you could play an instrument. Grab, go for it, and practice, and nurture right. your gift. Practice, right. practice, practice. Right. Not just depend on the technology. You'll get more gratification out of playing when the electric get cut off, and you can still be able to play something or a guitar, whatever you choose to play. Oh man, You're so much to be able to function. Uh, we didn't even talk about the tragedy of transposers. I didn't even touch that, Brian. It's left. I didn't. Even... Well, we we grew up when you had to know all those keys. If you didn't know them, you was gonna be embarrassed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what a trans transpose button was until I got further along. I'm like, what is that? So you gotta press that in the U and no, 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 no. You gotta stop playing every key. <laughs> all right, so we'll wrap on this. Hey, folks, thanks for hanging in there with us. Uh, just remember, the project on the table is your life. If you don't work on it, nobody else will. Be free. Be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. God gifted everybody individually you are you're special whoever you are you're special let us appreciate you for who you are stop right. trying to be somebody else yeah well said thank I you know. for having me on the show i appreciate it i'm sorry i'm kind of beat down because i've been driving a tractor trailer all day <laughs> like yeah <laughs> <laughs> my man all right we're we out of here